0: Q. Was or that yes. the Q? Yeah. Oh, I didn't hear you say speed! I didn't hear you say speed! Fuck it, we we'll just wing it. Sure. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cape Swoosh Productions Podcast. I am Jeremy Doyle, and... With me today is, is Matt Delhauer. Yes, of the Ginger Geek podcast fame.
1: As well as uh, regular to Cape Swoosh Productions. And uh,
0: as always, I apologize for all of the minority roles I make you play. <laughs> like at all times. I, just, ugh,
1: I am I am your go to reverse minstrel? A
0: little bit. No, actually, it's a minstrel. No, it's, it's still up a minstrel. minstrel. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks
1: for that. I'm so... <laughs> <God>. <laughs>
0: And then I had to play Captain America, like, right after that, yeah, so... I know! Oh, man, uh, I so. am a confusing person. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. We're changing up our podcast a little bit, so we're gonna tell you about that really quick. So just a, just a wee bit? Just a little bit! So instead of last time, where we gave you both the comics history as well as the reading all in one go, we've decided to break it up a little bit for you guys. So we're gonna give you a little bit of history and a little bit of breakdown of this month's comic... And then the next time you listen to us, it's just going to be an all-out production. Yeah, Look sure. for us every once every two weeks, at least for now, until we hit a rhythm and maybe, maybe we'll do more. <laughs> or get money. Or, or that too. That would be great. <laughs> this month, we've decided to start fresh with uh, Marvel's attempt to start fresh, which was the Ultimate Comic Series. Yeah,
1: we're going to bring in new listeners when they brought in new readers. <laughs> <laughs> with,
0: with Ultimate Spider-Man, specifically uh, issues 13 and 28, Confessions, and... Side-tracked. Gotta
1: get in those extreme early aught teens.
0: <laughs> those early 2000s <laughs> extreme teens. With their Mountain Dew and their skateboarding <laughs> legend Tony Hawk. <laughs> But here's the thing, one of the people that made this comic straight up thought like that and it was a problem. Yeah. Yeah,
1: no, it's absolutely uh it's it, you can feel it in the writing as well. Oh yeah. There are points honestly where you you read the, the the dialogue and for some reason at that point everyone was like, "Oh man, it's such like fresh dialogue. They really get the teenagers and and how they talk."
0: And you read it now and you're like, "Oh,
1: everyone sounds like a fucking dickhead." <laughs>
0: So everybody sounds so pretentious and just like uh, trying yeah. too hard to be a
1: teenager. I think at the same time, like that was probably because that was our teenage years. Oh, yeah. So we, we. Going back, I'm sure we sounded like pretentious dickheads at that point ourselves anyway. Oh, for
0: sure, yeah. Like, we we were so full of ourselves, yeah, like, back in our teenage years. Yeah, I mean, that's what
1: happens when you get told every day that you could be whatever you want to be. You just gotta think about it, I guess. Or whatever. <laughs> I don't know, I grew up with white privilege. I didn't have to work for things until I left college. <laughs> and then life became a fucking misery.
0: Oh, God. Okay, so, <laughs> before we spiral too oh, right, deeply into right, this all. Oh, right, right, sorry about the Comic existential bids. <laughs> So, a little bit of background. So, around the late 90s, early 2000s was around the time when Marvel was just straight up bankrupt.
1: Uh, yeah, They this was at a point where they were selling the rights to everything they had left and right to anyone that would buy it so they could potentially stay afloat. Oh, yeah. Uh, we are coming off the back of uh, the Blade movie. And at
0: this point,
1: this was '01.
0: one this was 2000, and then 2001 was the official release date of the first issue of Ultimate Spider-Man. Okay, so, so yeah, this, started this, this, was,
1: this was just after uh, the first X-Men movie then as well. Yep. So uh, Fox almost single-handedly made Marvel uh, notable again.
0: Oh, yeah. Also, just in terms of the comics themselves, uh, there was a fellow, either their VP or their president at the time, like I get conflicting reports depending on the research, uh, Bill Jemis. Jemis, I believe, Gemis, I believe was president at the time. Okay, yeah, he was doing this whole thing where he was just starting up like all of the different like kinds of comics lines. Mm-hmm. Like he's the one that had the idea for Marvel Max, which had good and bad things. It,
1: yeah, uh, mainly like one good. Yeah, which it was, was Alias. <laughs> all right, two good because uh, <laughs> Garth Ennis's Punisher oh, was completely yeah, yeah. worthwhile in Max, Fair just enough. for being for how batshit insane it was. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, Alias absolutely was was worthwhile under Max, but everything else really kind of fell flat. Mm. Uh, I remember saying, uh, funny enough, Rob and I were talking about the Max imprint last night because he brought up Vertigo. Oh, God.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, and I, I said, yeah, too bad uh, Marvel's Max really couldn't do the same thing that, that Vertigo did for, for DC because right. I really don't need more violent Catholic guilt coming out of Daredevil. Right,
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he also uh, had the idea for Marvel Knights, apparently, which which was a little better, but yeah. it also
1: far shorter lived.
0: Uh, yeah, well, that's kind of Jemis's calling card: is he either had like great ideas that didn't last, or just straight up bad ideas? Yeah, well, But like,
1: this is the guy that wrote Marvel. Uh, hmm. Okay, that's true. But I mean, you'll you'll see that with uh, a lot of the comics publishers. Uh, I mean, uh, oh God, uh, Dan Didio over at DC. Uh, the man who single-handedly almost destroyed DC with things like Final Crisis oh, and Identity Crisis. Yeah. So you can't really pretend like uh, <laughs> sometimes the wrong guy's in charge. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, one of the ideas that came up because speaking of like stuff like Final Crisis, things like that. Mm-hmm. One of the big complaints at the time was that comics continuity got way too complicated for sure casual readers to follow. Yeah, like it just got chaotic. So Jemis had the idea of, like, why don't we just start fresh, start a whole new continuity, we'll call it the Ultimate series, and we'll start everybody all over again in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and
1: uh, he, he initially launched the Ultimate Universe uh, off of the back of Mark Millar and Ultimate X-Men, mm-hmm. which I think almost coincided with the release of the movie.
0: Yes, I feel like Ultimate Spider-Man might have came from First, like okay. I feel like that might have been the flagship one. It was either that one or an X Men. I can't. I think remember I, it, I, I,
1: I remember they were they were close enough together that I can't personally remember, and I don't have the ability to look it up. Right, and I'm not going to make you do it. Nah. So instead, I'm going to just go ahead and say I'm 100 percent certain it wing. was X Men. If
0: you don't like our facts, feel free to let us know.
1: Don't. <laughs> I won't read them. I will. There you go.
0: And I'll stress. Make, I'll stress. Make a lot. Jeremy's
1: life worse. <laughs> I personally won't care about your opinion. <laughs> Your opinion of fact.
0: One of the other presidents at the time, Joe Quesada, thought that starting fresh was a bad idea mm-hmm. because of Spider-Man Year One.
1: Yeah, that's. You always kind of roll the dice with the idea of saying, like, what if we just said fuck it and did it all over again? Which Marvel down the road would start to learn the the pains of whenever they would decide to just relaunch a title as a number one yet again. Yeah. And luckily, unlike year one, Ultimate at least had a specific idea in mind of where they wanted to build a new universe, instead of just being like, what if we retold Spidey's origin, but we're just like, you know, 90s about it.
0: Yeah, which was basically what year one was. Yeah. Like, it was
1: just, it was a time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I mean, and that's the thing, is every... I think every major Marvel line had their own year one story. Oh, yeah. Like, I I remember for a while, once once Marvel Unlimited first started, like, the big things that you could read for free were all of the year one books because that was their introduction for whatever the, the line was. And immediately all I could think was, I really wish that you would just let me read the old comics, because that's the whole point of this entire endeavor, is that I can read back issues without having to go
0: find them. Yeah. But instead you're making me read your bullshit rewrites. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that was kind of the big problem with the year one stories, was just like, they kept changing continuity in those. Yeah. And they they changed continuity and then just pretended like, no, that was what it always
1: was. Yeah. They retconned a bunch of shit in X-Men.
0: I was some of the- that Krakoa was that the one Deadly Genesis? Uh, maybe I think it was because I know they changed a lot of stuff with the Krakoa storyline. I remember when
1: they did Year weird. One for X Men, they they changed a lot of stuff because they were really trying to get away from Jean being just the girl in the group, but it just they added a whole lot more team teen, like teenage romance drama. Yeah, and honestly, I don't need it. Like, it doesn't aid in me learning about the characters that much, because once year one is over, that's now leaving me at a point in the older comics where this shit doesn't come up ever again. Yeah. So why did we bring it up now?
0: (laughs) It was just an utter gamble with Ultimate Spider-Man to see if it would work. To make matters a little more interesting, Jemis decided to throw a new name on writing it, Little fellow by the name of Brian Michael Bendis.
1: Little guy Brian Michael Bendis, who this we will
0: probably never talk about again. Never will come up <laughs> ever again in discussions about Marvel comics, <laughs> especially Spider-Man. This was his first Marvel comic that he ever worked on. Which he is... He was strictly independent before this. It's a
1: real fucking shot in the dark to take somebody who really had not proven themselves in any of the big companies, and by big companies, I mean the big two, Yeah, and just say, why don't you just go ahead and take our most iconic character of all time and just run with it? Uh, yeah, and handle the relaunch, It exactly. was a gamble yeah. to begin with. I would honestly love to know what the meetings were like with Bendis when he was... Because I feel like that's not something, I'm not 100% certain on how a lot of like the writing of, of comics goes, especially back then compared to even now. Because it never seems like you are just handed a title as a writer. You have to prove to them that you have something you want to do with it, and then they kind of have to give you the go-ahead. Whereas, because they were looking to do this relaunch, they essentially had to sniff out somebody they thought could write it. So I have to wonder, did they put out, like, a call to a lot of different writers and be like, hey, we're relaunching Spider-Man, give us your idea. Or was it more like someone came along and was like, hey, uh, I know about this Bendis kid who's writing over at Image. Maybe we should talk to him. Because, I'll tell you now, I don't know what the hell Bendis did before Ultimate Spider-Man.
0: I looked it up, the names don't stick. Yeah, like, okay. He, he's been writing since 91, like, mm-hmm. that was his premiere. And he's been writing successfully since then. They knew who he was. It was nothing huge or landmark that really stuck with people. Yeah. All right. They like what he had because he stuck with Ultimate Spider-Man the entire time. The whole way through. Like for all 10 years plus of its publication.
1: Well, technically, Ultimate, the Ultimate Universe itself only blinked out of existence two years ago. Uh, yeah.
0: Because he wrote all the original 160 issues. Mm-hmm. He wrote the Like, the first run with Miles. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he continued to write for Miles once Miles switched over to... Yes,
1: when they... uh, Or 616. uh, When he moved to 616, and even before that, when he was doing offshoots like Spider-Man. Yeah. Miles was his baby, and he was not going to let anyone really touch him for a while until he was either forced to, or finally felt that somebody could give the character the proper due.
0: Yeah. Like, even just Spider-Man, it seems, in general, because, like, Bendis, like... For people who don't actually know, who don't actually follow comics, Bendis is a big freaking name in Marvel Comics. Oh, yes. He's Mr. Crossover.
1: He was the guy where when the MCU finally started getting big, Bendis was the guy that they talked to at Marvel Comics about really just consulting on how to to really grasp the the characters that they were doing and the, the tone of the films. The version of Guardians of the Galaxy that you know from the movies, that was Bendis. He wrote the comic that that entire thing was based on. Yeah.
0: He was very much like the voice of Marvel for a long... He was head writer
1: for a while, wasn't he? He was one of the big editors for a while. Uh, he was essentially the Jim Lee of Marvel, except Jim Lee's an artist and not a writer. Yeah. And
0: now Bendis writes for DC. For DC. A- so if we-
1: Which means at some point, if we don't see a Bendis-Jim Lee book... They fucked up. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it's not like you can really pin down Jim Lee for long. Mm. He runs about
0: 70% of that company. Yeah. But also like, oh, I want it. Oh, and, I know. Uh, but yeah, they stuck Bendis when he was initially starting out with artist Mark Bagley who's just what kind of one of those guys that's been there for a while and worked on every other superhero?
1: Yeah, Bagley was essentially just uh, he was just a company boy. Like they, you know, the the weird thing was was this was at a point where Marvel really wanted to be writer focused on what was going to draw people into the books, while DC went the opposite way with people like Jim Lee and they were very much more focused on bringing in really recognizable artists and art styles for their books so Bagley was just essentially a gun for hire that would draw whatever they wanted him to because they didn't really look to have a specific style towards things they were like all right you can make things look good you have a little bit of a cartoony look we're looking to kind of aim at younger ages
0: so he was the guy that they picked yeah and he stuck around for a while like he was on there as I checked my notes, not subtly. This part's probably going to get edited out as I scroll through my paper.
1: Don't keep it all. <laughs> Make uh, it yeah. real. Make it vulnerable. Uh,
0: my my soul. <laughs> <laughs> he from inception until he left for DC in two thousand eight. So I think the first one hundred issues. He yeah, was... that would probably be the first. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. doubt if it's first.
1: Because then after him was Sarah.
0: No, Sarah came on for Miles. Oh, they brought okay. Brought in another my. Because that was in the middle of Pete's run that all right. uh, Bagley left. And then he came back for the last four issues of Peter's run, which was the Death of Spider-Man spoilers. Oh, see, because I thought Death of Spider-Man was 100. No, that's 160. Oh, all right. Bagley, fun fact, was also ranked number two in Wizard Mag's top ten artists of the 2000s. Just because he was around so much. It was number one Jim Lee? Probably. Yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> <laughs> Like, why would it not be?
1: I mean, the 2000s, that was like when Hush and shit
0: like that came out. Like, yeah. Yeah, you're
1: going to give it to Jim Lee. Yeah, of <laughs>
0: course you <are. laughs> Like, so just sheer, just like stubborn artist, just like there because he's just there. Yeah. No, I mean... I was like, he's, he does great work. That's not to knock at the man. No, like, never, I never. love his art. But like, yeah, he's just straight up just stubborn. He was also an all-new X-Men, which I was just like, oh yeah, that does look like his style, doesn't it? Well, that's surprising. It was like volume 12 to sixteen uh, I think. Okay. So he wasn't on the initial run, but all he right, got brought right. on later. So now that we've gone over a little bit of background about Ultimate Spider Man, let's talk about the actual storyline that's going on with these two uh comics that are happening. And this might be where I lose Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually
1: I I uh I kind of I vaguely remembered uh the, the the arc that we were gonna be doing. I went through and actually I, I made sure to to re uh reaffirm my knowledge of it. Uh, and I, I made sure to actually read the issues because, oh, good, you know, because that would that would no. be helpful. Yeah, because, you know,
0: you're going to be in it and yeah, stuff.
1: Yeah, it would be, it'd be nice to know exactly when the cook talks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I won't spoil why there's a cook because, like, I won't say what's actually happening in the actual ones that we're going to be reading because, yeah. like, you know, listen yeah, yeah, to the yeah. podcast. But, like, here's what's going on, like, surrounding it. So Confessions uh, happens right after the story arc called Learning Curve, which was Pete's first arc as Spider-Man. Uh, this is when he tries to take down the kingpin of crime.
1: Yes, uh, the confessions. Honestly, it sits as like a uh, a one off kind of buffer between the first two arcs in the story. Yeah because this is after obviously he has his powers he he's uh kind of grown into being the superhero and everything like that and has had his first run in with the monstrous green goblin version that they had in ultimate
0: yeah which by the way that's uh the green goblin in ultimate really upsets me like in a good way like, Yeah. that character is great yeah i uh,
1: it's i i like a lot of the choices that they had made with him i remember when I was younger, I wasn't a big fan of the Hulk Green Goblin that they created, but I liked the idea that it also tied into a lot of the Ultimate Universe aspects of how, essentially, everything that happens in the Ultimate Universe is them trying to recreate the Super Soldier Serum. Yeah. Including Hulk. Um, That's true, isn't it? Yeah. So
0: much of the Ultimate Universe is just the Super Soldier Serum. It, to the point including where... Including the Legacy
1: cre- Virus. The Legacy Virus, to the point where... it. I think the super soldier serum was part of what created mutants. Yes. So, like, everything. Captain America is the linchpin of everything that happens yeah. in this goddamn universe.
0: Which, like, one of the things about the Ultimate Universe is, like, they tried to start it as a simplified universe for, that people can follow, and then it became the most convoluted universe. Oh, it got so ramped. So, it's, it's you know, Spider-Man
1: exists now. He's He's at least established. He's still only a 16-year-old yeah. kid in high school. Like,
0: people don't really know... In the universe, like, know who Spider-Man is just yet. Like, yeah, it's,
1: he's he's only just now showing up on the, the pages of Daily Bugle as a potential menace! Yeah. Next time we come back to Ultimate Spider-Man, we're definitely doing a Jonah story. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, and this this is, I think, one of the few things that I give Ultimate so much shit for, and I know Pete, Peter... Kendall who also will be playing miscellaneous characters miscellaneous in our miscellaneous
0: characters. He uh, will be playing civilian.
1: Civilian, civilian 1 potentially. No, just civilian. Oh, there's only there's one There's only of them.
0: one civilian in all of New
1: York. Um that we we tend to have an issue with ultimate because ultimate is the reason why so many people constantly picture Peter Parker as being
0: a high school student oh, as yeah. Spider-Man. This is the, this is the series that popularized teenage Spider-Man again and um, that's all people will accept yeah, after that. Yeah. And it's 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 the reason as to why
1: every, you know, 5 to 8 years we get a new Spider-Man movie where lo and behold he's yet again a high schooler who's getting his powers. Yeah. The next storyline coming up is uh Spider-Man who is very uh proud of himself and very um uh what's the word I'm looking for confident in his capabilities decides he's going to try and flex at the Kingpin of Crime in New York. Yeah. And uh
0: it's a little tougher. It, he has a hard time. He has a hard time with it. He realizes he can't just do the whole "I'm going to jump in and be Spider-Man" thing, and uh, he gets a little. He gets spanked. He gets mm-hmm. spanked a little yeah.
1: bit. Yeah. Uh, and this this is uh, to really kind of separate uh, the Ultimate Universe from from Six One Six. This was a point where we we even saw things like uh, Peter getting unmasked uh, almost immediately. Yeah. Uh, people knowing that he's a teenager and trying to figure out how does he rectify that because. He really can't handle having people know that a 15-year-old is swinging around Very
0: much like there's a moment in uh, Justice League Unlimited where The Flash and Lex Luthor switch brains. Mm-hmm. And Lex goes to the mirror, and is like, at least I'm gonna find out who Flash is. And he takes off the mask, and he's like, I have no idea who the hell this is. <laughs> yeah. And it's very it's, much that moment. It, yeah, it's, they-
1: it's a great moment where they they uh you know, he swings in and he tries to to confront the Kingpin and, and his his merry band of uh of uh super powered misfits. And uh, they wind up knocking him out, and they take the mask off. And, and all all Fisk could do is just look at and Goes, it's a damn kid. I don't even know who this kid is. <laughs> Well, get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's so much great stuff. Like, we were joking about it last night, too, with the whole, when they were standing face-to-face again, and Spider-Man was just like, I've been waiting so long to say this to you. Yeah, he and he pulls, pulls out, pulls a out his list of, paper, of you're so fat jokes. And he reads on a list of yo mama jokes and fat jokes. Oh, man. Because he's a cocky-ass teenager. And I think what I find interesting was
1: Ultimate found a strange middle ground with the humor of Spider-Man. Yeah. And I think it's a big part of what inspired the amazing Spider-Man movies. I mean, obviously it inspired them and
0: Homecoming. Like yeah. Homecoming is so say, obviously an I was, Ultimate Spider-Man I was say, movie. I'd say I think especially Holland's take on the character, like oh, it's yeah. mainly pulled from Ultimate Spider-Man.
1: But I think the big thing was was um Andrew Garfield's version of of. Spider-Man specifically comes from Ultimate Spider-Man because there are a lot more occasions where Spider-Man cracking jokes isn't so much in the vein of like, this is a a kid who's scared out of his mind, who only knows one way to keep calm is to just make fun of what's happening. There are points where he honestly becomes kind of just a smarmy little smartass. He
0: gets dangerous.
1: Yeah. Like, Ultimate Spider-Man gets straight up, like, nearly homicidal at points. Yeah. Um... And that was the big thing that I noticed with Garfield's take on it was he was less trying to compensate for the fact that he was scared and more just kind of being a dick when he had the mask on because no one knew who he was. He was like the internet troll version of (laughs) Spider-Man.
0: A little bit, yeah. Oh, dear. And we can go on about those Spider-Man movies, too, because I have thoughts. Yeah.
1: But we will save it for another time.
0: Another time, because... We are focusing on the Ultimate Spider-Man stories. The second one that we're going to be reading is Sidetracked, which happens in between uh, two particularly heavy story arcs, the first one being the Green Goblin Returns Mm -hmm. story arc, Mm -hmm. where MJ gets pitched off the Manhattan Bridge, a la Gwen. Yes. Uh, Yet again,
1: attempting to establish Ultimate as being, you know, kind of what you know, but different. They decided to... uh, Uh, And this one, though, I also feel like I give it credit for trying to be different, but it's really not that different because the first Spider-Man movie had come out by this point. Yeah. So MJ being thrown off of a bridge already a little played out.
0: Yeah. Because, like you said, they're just trying to replicate, like, the iconic moments that happened in the original series. And it's like, oh, hey, I know that thing. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because, like, later on, Ultimate goes through such an effort to, like, make the characters you know different. Yes, especially once Gwen Stacy shows up. Oh, my God. That's another point with Sidetracked is this Gwen shows up. Yeah. And Gwen is so much different from regular continuity Gwen. Yes,
1: our our wonderful uh, knife-wielding teenage delinquent that is Gwen Stacy. As
0: I phrased it to uh, Peter Kendall, it's like, this is hate the world and hates you, Gwen.
1: Yeah, Uh, absolutely. And especially just the fact that we have... A moment in the book where she not only is you know living this this teenage delinquent life because you know i think is it captain stacy is still a cop in this he is still a cop yes. yeah okay so it's it's almost like that that you know my dad's a cop you can't touch me attitude That's exactly what it is um but on the same vein of it just like the fact that one of her first introductions is a bunch of bullies, or one one dude starts picking on Peter because he outright says, I think Peter Parker is Spider-Man for X, Y, and Z. And kind of, like, lays out how researching superheroes in school, because for some reason, in this version of Queens, they have projects where it's, do a do a project in which you talk about what superhero you wish you were. Yep,
0: and then one of the characters has a mental breakdown about it.
1: Yes. Uh, one of the characters... Basically just figures out that, hey, Peter Parker's Spider-Man.
0: It's Kong. Kong figures it out. I love Kong so much. He's
1: he's like, we went on a field trip where Parker got bit by a spider, and not long after, Spider-Man showed up. And he showed up at our school, and Parker was nowhere to be found when the school got attacked. And just lays this whole thing out. And Flash Thompson's like, hey, that's stupid, man. There's no way it's Parker. It's like, no, I swear it is. Watch. And he goes to, like, hit Peter and try and, like, prove that Peter has his spider sense. And he just winds up, like, decking Parker. And Peter's just, like, laying on the ground like, why would you do that? You're such a bully. And then Gwen
0: pulls a knife. And then Gwen
1: pulls a knife on him and gets kicked out of school for it. And it's just, like, as she's, like, being pulled away, just, like, turns around and looks at the crowd. He's like, I don't like bullies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Edgelord Gwen. Oh, man.
1: Carnage Gwen. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's even more fun is when we then get to play with the symbiotes.
0: Yeah. Which, like, what is Carnage even? It's, like, it's a combination of, like, Venom, Peter's blood, the lizard, and Morbius the vampire. I never even remembered that Morbius existed by that he point. He showed up in a one-shot. Oh, geez. And it's one of my favorite unintentionally funny panels of Ultimate Spider-Man is after that whole thing. Peter had gotten bitten at one point. Oh, yes. He comes into school wearing a turtleneck. Mm -hmm. And MJ just kind of looks at him just like, "What? you never wear turtlenecks. What's going on? And he pulls it down and there's the bite mark. And she goes, did you get bit by a vampire? Yes. (laughs) It's like there's no context for this high school girl having seen her best friend getting bitten by a vampire.
1: Ultimate MJ who both can and cannot handle everything that gets thrown at her at the same time. She is at 10 at
0: all times. Always. She is she is an anxiety mess, and that that's actually a, a big point in the storyline before and after sidetrack, mm-hmm. because again MJ gets pitched off a bridge. Uh, Understandably has a little bit of a meltdown.
1: Kinda kind of can't handle that idea. Yeah. It's, Le- uh, it's little little a little bit rough. of PTSD. Yeah.
0: Uh, and then after that is identity crisis, which is the mugger who takes a Spider-Man suit and starts doing crime as Spider-Man.
1: Which is honestly just a brilliant idea for a story. It's just like some dude buys a Spider-Man costume and then goes running around New York just committing crimes going, I'm (laughs) Spider-Man! And it's (laughs) like... It just makes me think of, like, why don't more, like, uh, superheroes have that problem? Where, like, suddenly some jackass shows up with, like, an AK-47 in Central Park dressed as, like, Iron Man.
0: Well, it's... I... I feel like a lot of the problem is just, like, because, like, Spider-Man is just so centralized and people don't know that much about him and still already kind of hate him. And he doesn't, like, fly or anything. He looks like a dude. No,
1: but... Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure they even they even make it that he's just, like, running around. Like, he doesn't have gloves on. He's wearing, like, <laughs> like sneakers. But he's in a Spider-Man costume just yelling out, I'm Spider-Man, yeah. while he robs bodegas.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the problem winds up being that he winds up killing Captain Stacy. Like, he winds up throwing, like, a... Uh, cocktail or like a grenade or something like that Yeah, Uh, throws it at a kid stacy pushes the kid out of the way it goes off and stacy dies
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, which then leads to a a wonderful time in which um gwen stacy moves in with uh pete and aunt may oh best time boarding house of heroes time yeah the boarding house of heroes time uh which also was awkward in the fact that while she was moving in with pete and aunt may she had a deathly vendetta against spider-man
0: Oh yeah. That that was a thing. Oh yeah. no,
1: cuz I I would love for us to do boarding house of superheroes.
0: Yeah. Legitimately, the Super Friends live at the house.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it's Spider-Man and his Super Friends.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh it's Bobby and um Oh my god, Human Torch and then yeah, it's
1: uh yeah, Bo- uh, Bobby Bobby Drake, Iceman mm-hmm. and uh and uh Johnny Storm, the Human Torch.
0: Did I say Bobby Storm or like No, Bobby you said Torch?
1: you said Bobby and then just left it. Because my brain doesn't work. I know. Well, it's because for you, you know exactly who Bobby is.
0: Yeah, <laughs> conveyance is a thing mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is a good time, except for Gwen. She eventually mellows out, but for now, yeah, o- only just in time. Only just in time to uh, die. Yeah. <laughs> to Spoil- get carnage.
1: Spoiler alert for this sixteen-year-old comic it's, book.
0: It's old. Just go as read well the as for thing. a
1: character who died in the seventies. <laughs>
0: That's Gwen's thing. Gwen dies and then comes back and then has someone she loves dies in alternate realities because, you know, Spider Gwen. Someone yeah. had to die in her universe. By the
1: way, still on my list as worst name for a comic book. Oh, what, Spider Gwen? Spider Gwen. I mean, I get it.
0: It's just It's a cute
1: name they ran with. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Give her a real name and not just Spider Woman, because I'm tired of that crap too. Well,
0: because I like. What they did with uh, the new show they came out where she where she's Ghost Spider where she's Ghost Spider it which makes is sense a great name it's awesome it's, I love that name but uh, yeah that's basic because they're both one off stories so there's not too too much to talk about without going into like the actual story proper which yeah again, it's just it's a uh, it's
1: a lot of fun where we have one that's that's really just kind of a, a little mini bottle moment between uh, between some characters and then another one that's a little bit more of like a uh, like like a, a slapstick comedy of errors. So uh
0: it'll be it'll be enjoyable to to get through with those yeah, two. It'll be a great time. Yeah. And we're really looking forward to it. So now that we've talked about like the story and such that's happening, let's end it off with um what does Ultimate Spider Man mean to you? What does freedom mean to me? <laughs> um Well, what kind of impact has Ultimate Spider-Man and that series had on comics and fandom and stuff like that? Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, for, for me personally, Ultimate Spider-Man was really the first time I kind of seriously was reading comic books. Because, I mean, I grew up in the 90s where I loved, you know, the X-Men cartoon and the Batman cartoon. But I, I wasn't really buying comics. Right. Because, like, as a kid, you know, I have these things in TV show form. Why do I want to go out and buy things I have to read? But it was around that time that this was coming out that a friend of mine in in high school, the, the two of us were, were out at the mall or something, and we came across the trade paperback of Volume 1 of Ultimate Spider-Man. And uh, we decided that we were going to buy that, and I, he bought, I think, the first volume of Spider-Man, and I bought the first volume of Ultimate X-Men. He absolutely got the better deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you. No, I know. But then what we wound up doing was we would then purchase every other volume of each of those runs and we would share them back and forth so that way we both read all of it and we both were able to talk about it so like we've essentially forced ourselves into being like social about comic books with each other it's not a bad
0: way to do it no it's it's actually
1: pretty good yeah and it was what really kind of got me into the actual comic book fandom of everything because like they were hoping to do it was able to introduce me into a character that I already knew about, you know, obviously X Men, Spider Man, Batman, like characters that we all know, and we all kind of know parts of their story. But this finally gave me like a full story that I could read and get involved in and get interested in. And it so it really was kind of a big moment for me in in fandom in general. And I think that was the big thing of what Ultimate as a universe, as well as just Spider Man, was able to do. Was it? gave a new generation their version of a character to love before being a, before deciding to explore outward into what else there was of that character. So, like, once you were really kind of established with Ultimate, you could then go and look at, like, 616 Spider-Man, and sure, it's not the exact same story, but you know enough of the character and who they are and what they do that you don't feel like... You're really missing out when you're suddenly jumping into things like maybe Clone Saga, yeah. Despite Ultimate having its own Clone Saga
0: and everything like that, yeah, which was you know six years shorter than the actual Clone Saga, but and
1: yeah, it it, it took a lot less time, uh, and it it didn't dick around a whole bunch. <laughs> Though I will I will always say you know despite the the massive hatred that Clone Saga gets, it gave us Ben Riley, which it was did. great. I know Rob fully appreciates that.
0: I mean, there's always, like, good stuff that you can glean from anything that's, like, you know, stuff that people universally just dislike. Sometimes. If you look hard enough, there's a silver lining in there somewhere. I dare you to find
1: me the good thing that comes from DC's identity crisis. (sighs) Because having your superheroes in a noir investigation over a rape and murder of another
0: superhero is really just not what I need. I didn't have the emotional attachment to Identity Crisis like you did, so, like, I'll try, but not right now. No, it's... Because that's going to
1: take some time. That's, that's a book I don't recommend anybody read, because <laughs> it is not worth it. It is not worth <laughs> it, Jim!
0: <laughs> but, like, that's, like, the weird accidental genius of Ultimate Spider-Man is just, like, they kind of picked the perfect character to, like, bring back and, like, reintroduce. Yeah, they just it, had to it, tweak it, some things.
1: It's, yeah, they, they changed a few things here and there. They made it so that it was, it was relatable to the young generation that was going to be reading it and everything, but it just goes to show that these are characters that you don't always have to follow a specific continuity to enjoy. Yeah. It's, there's a constant battle that tends to go on in comics versus progression and continuity of the character in the narrative versus the overarching iconography of the character itself. So, Spider-Man and Peter Parker as a person growing up as a superhero, as a human being, and where they go in their life versus Spider-Man and his message of responsibility with power and the concept of seeing someone who, you know, can't possibly pay his rent this month but is still willing to go running into a burning building to save somebody even though he really needed to get to work right now. Yeah. Like just there there there's this wonderful thing about comics in general it uh, with that that you can always find a way to reach a new audience and give them stories that they can connect to and it doesn't always have to be the specific version that everyone else knows uh cuz I know that's that's something that you tend to see argued a lot in in fandom is Well, you know, you'll have your gatekeeper nerds where, like, oh, well, if you liked Ultimate Spider-Man, you don't really like Spider-Man, like that kind of garbage. I think it's great when you can find ways to bring a character or even just a concept of a character and find ways for somebody new to appreciate it. And I think that was one of the things that Ultimate Spider-Man did perfectly.
0: Oh, yeah. So honestly, I think that should just about do it. Should be good. Yeah, I think so, too. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this, please feel free to, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Cape Swoosh Productions. Uh, check us out on Facebook, on SoundCloud, all the fun things where we exist, I hope. I should probably check on our accounts to make sure they're still there. Luckily, we haven't gotten a cease and desist yet. Not yet. In fact... Like we've gotten acknowledgement from people that are like, Yeah, I keep doing the thing. Yeah, it's it's really cool to have people like uh who are
1: in, in the business of doing like voiceover work and stuff, or even actual comic writers. Yeah. Uh be like, Hey, I, I heard about the stuff that you do and I think that's awesome. Because these are the creative types who don't have to worry about, like, you know, do we legally have to do something about this? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to subscribe. Check us out next time, where we are gonna read these bad boys uh, and bring them to glorious life with some web swinging and some shenanigans and some thrip thrip and a whole bunch of fun and some teen drama and all that rigmarole. Yeah, and all that all that hanky panky that's going on. (laughs) Hanky panky! I'm so excited for Carla to say hanky panky. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. We'll check you out next time. We love you. Love you.